listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. A few weeks ago, a couple from Merritt, B.C., won $25.9 million in the Lotto Max lottery. And this week, in the news we saw in Kelowna, a Kelowna man won a million dollars. I mean, we could go on and on with stories like this, and, and, and we could fill our time with that. And, uh, and these are just recent things that have happened this past week or in the last few weeks. And, and, and so often as, as we see that, and, and I'm sure that even for each one of us, when a certain one of those kind of just gripped us a little bit and thinking, wow, that's some treasure. Wow, that is success. These people have made it. I mean, these people are so lucky. They are so fortunate. They're so hashtag blessed. You know, they could put that on any post now because they are so blessed. And, and, and I wonder for us how many of us in seeing that can feel that little tug within us, that little angst and just say, I want that. I want just a little bit of that, just a little bit of that. I mean, just a little bit, just a little bit. If only, if only I just had a little bit more money in the bank or, oh, if I could just get that promotion and, and, you know, at work and, you know, then, you know, or that house or that nicer house or that car or, or, you know, just, and, and, and we have these things and just think if I just get there and, 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 and these kind of thoughts and, 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 and feelings kind of go through our minds, not just right now, but even through the course of the day and the week and the night, and we have this certain angst. And yet we have the words of Jesus in Luke 12, verse 15, when he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And yet, try to tell that to our brains, right? Because so much of our society and so much tells us your life does consist. You are something if you have this. And Jesus says, be on your guard. Take care. Because there is this unrelenting, concentrated, strategic attack of the enemy to get you to believe that one's life does consist of earthly possessions of what we have achieved, of what we can consume or what we can save or what we are able to purchase. And Satan will do whatever he can to get our eyes off of Jesus and to chase other things, good things. Nothing wrong with the things that we will chase. And yet it is because it has captured so much of our heart and because we look to it for happiness or we look to it for fulfillment or for status that these good things become little God things in our lives and become sinful thinking and sinful desires and passions. But also this week in the news, we had these headlines. Luke Perry, former teenage heartthrob dies at age 52 of a stroke. Massive stroke taking out this guy. He said he was a great guy, nice guy. Alex Trebek, Canadian, host of Jeopardy, announced this week that he has stage four pancreatic cancer. Vows he will fight it. Heard in the news, saw the pictures of the devastating tornado, tornadoes and storms in Alabama this week, 23 dead in that path of destruction, or this morning 
if you haven't heard yet in the news of an airplane that crashed in Ethiopia, taking off, going um, to another African country, 157 dead, 18 Canadians. People were going home, people were going to visit family, people were going on business, had no idea at the end of, just as that flight was taking off, that boom, their lives would be over just like that. Whether it is success, whether tragedy, we don't know what's gonna show up at our door tomorrow, do we? We have no idea. A phone call, a diagnosis, a letter in the mail, a text message, any of those things and more can just quickly, in a moment's notice, change our lives. And so what do we do? What do we do in light of this good news and this, the, you know, all these awesome things that are happening, but in light of also the warnings and, and how we see how frail life is? Do we just eat, drink, and be merry? Tomorrow we may die, and so we just live for the moment. And Jesus calls that kind of living foolishness. Don't live like that. Live with a plan in place. Have a plan for your life. And Jesus de defines what that plan looks like in, in our relationship to riches. And Jesus, we're going to see this morning, he's going to be talking about lasting treasure and rich rewards, a satisfying life, a fulfilled life, a life that has purpose and meaning beyond the, the bank account, beyond the investments and the toys and the things that we have. And so in the verses we're going to look at today, Jesus challenges and he goes hard after our heart and our affections, those deep longings that sometimes no one is even aware of. The person sitting next to you, the person in your home that you share your home with, they may not even know a lot of the deep longings and desires that you have in your heart, but Jesus knows them and he's going to challenge them. And he wants to bring them in line with the kingdom thinking in line with being citizens of his kingdom that are set on serving and following and finding purpose and meaning and fulfillment and not just simply happiness, but joy. Joy in him. And so we're going to read here. We're going to, to, to see here in, in Matthew chapter 6. Lasting treasures, rich rewards, however, requires that we examine ourselves in three different areas. And so we need to examine our lives in three areas today we see here in this passage. And the first one is I must examine my heart. I must examine in order to live a life with lasting treasure and rich rewards. I must examine my heart. Verse 19, Jesus says, do not... Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so a question this morning, what do you treasure? As you examine your heart, what do you treasure? What do you treasure most in this world? What do you treasure most in this life? And Jesus is speaking here in this passage about the futility of gaining a fortune and somehow thinking that it's going to endure that, and, and for us to think it's going to last and it's going to be the be-all, end-all of our lives. And to be blunt, Jesus is saying, and he's saying, storing up treasure on earth is dumb. He's saying, don't do it. It's not wise. And he identifies three areas here in these verses that we so tend to want to accumulate stuff and to measure our lives by this, these areas of, of our lives and by purchases and accumulation of things that makes a statement about who we are. These are the things we find oftentimes our security in. We put our confidence in only to find that they are destroyed or taken away by moths, rust, 
or thieves, as you see here in these verses. And so Jesus identifies three areas in this that the moths, the rust, and the thieves will end up taking over. And it, it, it has three G's to it. Our garments, our grain, and our gold. First of all, the moths. If you see in there where he talks about moths, this is a reference to garments, to clothing. In the Middle East, the clothes that you would wear would be really important. And people would have and save for fancy clothes. And if you had fancy clothes, that meant you were someone special. You were important. And you were considered wealthy by the kind of clothes that you would wear. It made a statement about you. And so it was important. And so he says, but one of the problems that was very common in that age and even in certain areas in our world even today and can even, can, I guess, happen maybe not through moths but through other varmints that will end up coming after our clothes at times. Uh, but, but what he's describing here are moths that are able to come in. They end up laying their eggs which ends up hatching and that larvae or that, those worms end up chewing and they're really small but they end up chewing that fabric making it weak and forcing holes to be in it. And moths can kind of slip in under the surface so easily. I remember in our farmhouse where we'd spend most of our summers, by the end of the summer, it would seem we had screens on our windows, we kept the doors closed, but boy, oh boy, some, year the, some years the moths would come in and you turn on the bedroom light and it would just be this chorus of moths just spinning around, spinning around, and it would, as soon as you turn it out, you, you know, they start landing you know, all over the place, middle of the night on your face or whatever it is. And so I was always freaked out by it. So I would just take the vacuum cleaner, turn on the light, and just holding it. It would just like suck them all in, like gotcha, you know. But the moths, they're able to get in little cracks and they get in, they lay their eggs and, and, and they end up putting holes in the clothing. I, I, I have some nice clothing here. Um, Charlotte used one of these as an illustration in Harvest Kids last week. And, and I, they're, they're both about the same age. This is a, a hoodie that Charlotte bought me um, just right around the time we are dating or just nicely married. I still wear this. I, I mean, not in public, usually. Uh, you know, I, I use it on the elliptical. It's, it, my elliptical's in the garage right now. And so, you know, it's got some holes in it, and it's not looking so good. And my kids hate it, and, and they buy me new ones. But I, I just, for some reason, seem to kind of like, you know, this old one that's kind of holy and kind of, you know, in not so good of shape. But then I also have something about the same age as, as that hoodie, and... Charlotte's wedding dress. It's encompassed, it's been sealed off so it will be protected and, and, and it looks nice and it's in this box and, and I found the box in our basement up high on a shelf so if there's any flooding it should be good. If there's a fire I guess it's gone. But you know, eventually we'll, we'll, we'll keep it for a certain amount of time and, and, and here they are, the same age, but you know what? A hundred years from now, this, this will be gone. It will be, like even though I, I, I have such, you know, a, a closeness to it, it will be gone, you know, a hundred years from now. This wedding dress, unless for some reason it's hanging in a museum somewhere as a kind, kind of a statement of Charlotte making it in marriage with me for so many years and, and she's rewarded as a woman of honor or something like that, this dress will be gone. 500 years from now, dust, it's gone. The, the moths will get it, the... Decay will get it. These things that we think are so important will be gone. 
So he's talking about clothing and, and, and just how we put so much effort into these different things. And then Jesus uses the term rust, which is a reference to grain and, and, and the eating that happens. The better reference or the better translation is, uh, refers to this word rust as the eating or the spoiling action of worms. This was in reference to the grain that they would store up in order to have food uh, in great supply, especially through the winter months and, and, and the non-harvest months. And so Jesus is reminding them that no matter how much, whatever kind of a large supply of grain you may have, the rust, the worms, the mites will get in there and they'll destroy it and they'll Make a big mess of it. Did you hear in the news just this past week that China is halting over a billion dollars in trade of canola uh, purchase that, that they do annually through the prairie provinces, citing that there's some sort of pest or some sort of little mites or something in the canola. There's more of a political thing actually going on, we believe, or, or um, most people believe. And yet they're, they're saying that even in this wonderful Canadian-grown canola that's been cleaned and is being shipped to China, that there's mites that, that, that render this grain useless and you have billions of dollars of grain sitting and, and or of this canola that's sitting and and is deemed useless succumbing to animals whether it be small little mites or rats or mice worms blights whatever it might be and then jesus mentions something else he talks about thieves this refers to our gold He's referring to gold and silver and coins and the precious items that we have. They didn't have banks back then, and so people would, st would, would kind of hide under the floorboards in their house or even embed in the walls a lot of their treasure, a lot of their coins, a lot of their valuables. And, and he's saying, but thieves will break in and steal. And so we can save these up, and yet there's no security in these things because we can have the clothing, we can have the grain, we can have the gold, and yet it can all be taken away just like that. And he says, don't, don't build your life on this. Don't make this the hallmark of your life. Jesus is saying, these things, building your life on these kind of things, it's unwise. They will not last. And so he's, he's telling us, don't get sucked into the thinking that material possessions will bring you ultimate happiness. It might give you short-term status. And yes, some immediate happiness and, 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 and joy temporarily. But in the end, it spoils. It's gone. It's a waste. It's a vapor. Large bank accounts, having the latest, the greatest, the finest, will deteriorate, will be, come to nothing, or become obsolete or taken away. The things that we strive for and we dream about and we pray for and all of these things so oftentimes of the worldly good are fleeting. And Jesus is saying, don't make the things of this world your treasure. Hold the things of this world very loosely. Take it from Solomon, the wisest and, and the wealthiest man in the, on earth during his time and probably ever since then as well, except for Jesus. He was known to be this wise man, this wealthy man. And what did he say after amassing all of this wealth in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10? He says, he who loves money, you won't be satisfied. If you love it and you dream about it and you're always checking it and you're checking all your accounts and your investments and, and you think, this is, this is it, this is my goal, this is what I keep doing, you're not going to be satisfied. He goes on to say, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is all vanity. He says, it's a waste of time. Take it from me. I, I, I have it all. And it's vanity, vanity. It won't last. It's useless. And no matter what we do, we can't take it with us, can we? 
Oh, we might try. We might try to take it with us. I, this is just bizarre. A few years ago, a man in Ohio was buried riding his Harley motorcycle. Take a look at this picture here. There he is. A, a special coffin was made, a, a glass, plexiglass coffin. He's, he's on his 19, I think, 67 Harley motorcycle, and he is still buried there today, sitting on a motorcycle. And you think, how crazy is that? I mean, I did a little extra web research, and then I also have a little bit of an in these days with some people in the local funeral industry. And, and, um, and so I, I did some interviews this past week and a little web search, ended up finding out that people take the, try to take the bizarre, craziest things with them into the next life. It's absolutely crazy, some of the things that you read or some of the things I've heard. Some cultures, in particular certain cultures, will, will layer the deceased person uh, with all kinds of clothing, like up to three or four layers of clothing from an evening gown to, a, um, to, to various out, outfits, and they would uh, dress the corpse in these clothing and then pack around the rest of the coffin, find furs and other clothing and jewelry and watches and coins so that they can take those into the next life. So I guess they can make a statement, I've arrived, look at me in all my clothes. I heard of one situation where the funeral director finally had to say, enough, enough, we can't even close the coffin. You're trying to fill it too much with too much stuff, trying to take it with them. Comedian David Brenner was asked to be buried with $100 worth of small bills. And he said, just in case tipping is required for where I'm going. George Burns was buried with three cigars in his pocket. They were all getting prepared for the next life. I, I, I heard of um, some people who um, have been buried with the ashes of their beloved pet. And they wanted to be with their pet in the afterlife. Or, or they've been buried with a remote control in their hand because... That was just so much of their lives here on earth or, or even an iPhone. And, and, and true story, I heard this, that a family, uh, they, they placed the, an iPhone in the casket and it was fully charged and they had it turned on and just in case, I guess, maybe there was a mistake or something and he could, hey, I need help. I, I don't know exactly. They knew it eventually it would die out, but the funeral directors also found out about it. And um, as everyone was pulling away, the funeral director stayed behind. And when the people from the cemetery came to take care of um, the plot, um, the funeral directors phoned that phone. And it started going off and I guess caused a little bit of a commotion, you know. And you just say, okay. You know, and, and, and it's so crazy some of the things that, that, that we do um, in this. And, and yet Job, God's word tells us, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. We came into this world with nothing. We're going to go out with nothing. But we can send it on ahead. And Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, don't make your life about your possessions. Don't think you can take it with you. Don't do it. Don't store up treasures here on earth. They won't last and they won't satisfy. And so he makes this a command. He says, don't do this. But then he gives another command. He says, but do this. Store up treasures in heaven. Make it about eternal rewards, heavenly rewards. Send it on ahead. 
Now, I want you to understand that the Bible, when I say, you know, talk about not investing or, 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 or you know, the accumulation of things, not making this a part of our lives, the Bible nowhere promotes a poverty gospel. Where it, nowhere in the Bible does it say that it is wrong to own a house, to own possessions, to have nice things. Not at all. The Bible does not condemn wealth. It does not condemn money, but it does condemn the love of money. And there's a difference there. And what Jesus is getting at is our heart attitude towards these things. Do I hold them tightly? You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, one of the places I've read and I've heard before that when a baby is born and comes out of the womb, the baby naturally has their, their fists clenched. But when a body is being prepared and when a body is being placed in a casket, their hands are always opened. You come in with clenched hands and you go out with open hands. And, and, and for some people, their hands stay clenched throughout their entire life until the day they die. Because it's all about them, it's about me, it's about getting and grabbing and, and, and whatever I can for myself and my needs and my wants and my desires and my plans, my goals and my dreams. It's mine, mine, mine. It's me, me, me. And Jesus is saying, work, live, enjoy this life with open hands. Making Jesus our ultimate treasure. The Bible does not condemn wealth, but it does condemn the love of wealth, the love of money, making it our God. In, in 1 Timothy 5, we are, there's some instruction there regarding the rich as well as in 1 Timothy 6. I encourage you to read. Um, there's going to be some, some references for you to write down in the next few moments. But in, in, in 1 Timothy 5, it says if you don't provide for your family, it says you're, you're worse than an unbeliever. We are to provide for our family. We're to make sure they're well taken care of. And I even believe that, that, that even as parents, there's a responsibility as, as life goes on that our kids are well taken care of and we're helping and, and, and encouraging them along in, in their lives in ways that we can. It's providing, it's loving, it's caring for our families. And again, as, as I said, the Bible does not prohibit owning a home or a business, having nice things. Doesn't condemn saving for a rainy day because we even have in Proverbs chapter 6, there's the parable that, that is given, the story about the ant who worked hard to save a food for storage for the winter season. There's, there's that example that we have and God wants us. In 1 Timothy, he, he, he tells us he wants us to enjoy the things of this world, not to despise them. This isn't some sort of asceticism where, where we just don't want to have anything good and we just turn away from that and just, just, just take this vow of poverty. God doesn't call his people to that. We are to, 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 to invest. We are to be wise with our money. We are to, to work hard and, and, and earn a good income. And, and all of these things are good, but it's, it's what are we doing with it? What place does it have in our heart? Is it ultimate or is Jesus ultimate? This is the battle that gets played out. But we make so much of this world about our, our treasures. And Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He's saying, don't treasure, treasure. Don't make the things of this world your number one ambition, your obsession. Just going to ask everyone to stand up. You need that little wake up because of the one hour time difference. Put your, leave your Bibles on your seat. Just ha hands up, hands empty. Just, you know, even that means yes, put down your phone. If you have your, if you just, you know, can't even let go of that even for a moment, just, just hands empty. Yeah, you can stretch if you want, you know, good idea to do that because uh, then we're going to buckle up and, and finish this off. But, and just as you're standing, I just encourage you to be, j just to be thinking of this question. The things that I'm pursuing 
the things that I'm obsessing about, the things I'm consumed with right now, how important will they be in 10 years? How important will they be in 100 years? How important will it be in 100,000 years? Or how about in 100 billion years? Because our souls will still be alive at that time. And what we decide and what we do here on earth will have huge dividends for us, for our family, for others in eternity. The people around us, your family, will be affected by the decisions that you make here on this earth. Your friends will be affected. Are you for treasuring Jesus and treasuring that they would one day come to know him? How about for people in our city, in our community, in our world, the billions of people in our world? The only thing that will last, just look around, the only thing that will last, nothing on our seats, nothing out there, the only thing that's going to last are one another. Your family, your friends, whether they be somewhere here in Canada, no material thing, it's not going to last. And Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven because they will last forever. You can sit down. Thank you for doing that. And so you're thinking, so, so is this sermon all about just now taking and giving money to the church? No, not, it's not really about that. It's about an investment in people. And yes, it has to do, we're talking this morning, it has to do with our money, it has to do with our treasures. And here, I think one of the things that, that if you've been a part of our church for all or part of the four and a half years that we've been around, we don't say a lot about money. We'll preach on money when we come to it in a certain text, just as we are now. And Jesus did say a lot about money. God's word says a lot about money and our attitude and our relationship and, and wisdom regarding it. But we don't focus a huge amount on money and long sermon series on, on money and campaigns to raise money and all of these different things. We don't generally spend our time on that because in so many ways, if your heart is right... If your heart is right with God, we're going to go after your heart because Jesus is going after your heart. And if Jesus has your heart, then he has your money. He has your wallet. He has that sort of mindset that we end up having that we want to honor him in all these areas in our life. And so it's important that we do teach on it and, and we have to look at what Jesus is saying here today. But what Jesus is really getting after is who has our heart? Where's our heart when it comes to to our money, our investments, the things we're accumulating, our possessions? Is it all about making a statement about me or is, it, or is it a way that we can treasure Jesus and enjoy the things of this world? We're going to see that we cannot serve two masters. Who is the master of our life? We'll look at that at the very end. But what Jesus is talking about is having a single-minded devotion to God, being devoted to Him wholly in, in, in what we are doing. And and yet the world, as I've already said, the things I threw up on the screen, we'll see the distractions. We're going to have the pressure, the pull that is going to be so hard and get us in, in thinking wrongly and to, to miss the treasures and the blessings that God has for us. You see, so oftentimes, and, and, and this is just sometimes as a result of bad teaching or just bad understanding, that, that a lot of times we end up saying, you know what, I'm going to give God my blank percent, my certain percent that I'm going to give God, that I'm going to give to him, and then the rest of it is mine. Mine, mine, mine. Just do whatever I want. I get to live for myself. God has his part. God, here you go. Here's, you know, it's kind of like giving your kid an allowance. 
you know, and, and saying, you know, here, this is your money, spend it, do whatever you want, but don't come to me for any more. That's sometimes, sadly, the way we can treat our giving when it comes to God. Here's your money, and now I get this percentage to, to live and to do whatever I want. And God says, no. I own it all. I want it all. Give it all to me. Make it mine. One of the most probably um, impactful things in regards to money and possessions that I was impacted with as a young boy. I was probably eight or nine years old. We came to the breakfast table one morning, and as we came for breakfast, my dad sent us all back to our rooms, and he said, you go and get your, 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 your toy that you love the most, your, your most favorite toy, your most favorite possession. And so I quickly, I knew what that was. It was my walkie-talkies. And I had the walkie-talkie set. They were probably almost the size of my Bible. You know, just this massive big antenna that would come out, you know. And it uh, didn't work that well, but they were awesome. We'd go and play Forest Rangers after school. Remember that show, Forest Rangers? Yeah, I love that show. And, walkie- and so I brought my walkie-talkies, and my brothers and sisters brought things. And on the breakfast table in front of my dad's plate was uh, farm keys, vehicle keys, and then some pieces of paper. Found out that was our mortgage. Found out that was some of his investments. And my mom had her, her wedding ring and she had some other nice jewelry that she had and, and that was on the table and, and all of us had something and my dad just in a very impactful way, he said, hey kids, you just, we're giving this all back to God today. This is all his. We, and, 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 and just that understanding that God owns it all. And, when, and, and God is a good owner and he takes care of his stuff. And when we surrender our lives to him and and we're under his care, he takes care of his kids. And so this is a blessing. This is something awesome that that he calls us to do and, 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 and our heart and our treasures go together. And so what, what Jesus is talking about here is making wise investments, but not just settling for the here and the now, but wise investments in eternity. Heard kind of the funny story of a farming couple that the farmer came into the farmhouse one day just as happy and rejoicing. It was calving season. He said, hey, honey, one of our cows gave birth to twins. There's a red one and there is a white cow. I mean, you know, sort of reddish and kind of whitish sort of thing, but, you know, or little calves that have been born. And, and, and they were just overjoyed. And he says, you know, God has just been so good to us. I think what we need to do. And if you're in agreement, honey, I think this is what we should do. We'll, give one, we'll, we'll keep one of the little calves for ourselves, and then the other one, we'll raise both of them, fatten them up well, and then later on, we'll sell one, and we'll give all the, give, give all the money from that one to the Lord. We'll give it to the church. We'll give it to the Lord's work. And the other one we'll keep for ourselves. God is so good. He's, and, and, and his wife said, I'm on board. That's a great idea. And she said, which one will we give to the Lord. Will we give the brown one or will we give the white one? Which one? He says, oh, we'll decide that later. We'll do, no, no need to decide that at this time. We'll decide that later. A few months, the farmer comes into the house and he's sad and he's forlorn and he's like, honey, you wouldn't believe it. One of those, one of those calves, it died. He's just crushed. He's just sad. And his wife says, oh, no. Oh, no. Which one? Uh, which one died? The Lord's. Isn't it funny how quickly something we're willing to, and, and, and how oftentimes the Lord is the last that we consider. It's 
everything else is mine, and, and if I'm out at the end of the month, well, I guess the Lord will go without. It just says so much about where our hearts can easily be. We can invest in lives for eternity by spending time with people and sharing the gospel. We can invest in eternity and in in being part of a church planting network like we're a part of the GCC. We've been recently presented, and I trust we'll be able to roll out some more information about this with an opportunity to come along and support financially and also in some other ways uh, a church plant, uh, a newer church in in Eastern Europe, one that we've already had some ties with. And and, uh, this is one of the privileges of being part of a church planting network like the GCC or Great Commission Collective and, and opportunity to support financially but come alongside in some practical ways and to see and to know that as we're sitting here and as we're striving through and working and sacrificing and giving, that our money here that we give that goes in an offering basket or that you do it online or however you end up doing that, that, that it goes to help share the gospel build a church over in another part of the world and to know that people will get saved and, 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 and save people, discipled and to grow up and, 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 and tell others about Jesus and, and we can do that from here. Compassion, great thing. We had a speaker here a number of months ago speaking, uh, having compassion um, children sponsorship, just knowing that, that giving money every month to that sort of work not only is helping with, with a lot of the daily necessities for a child and, and, and their well-being and it benefits their family, but the way compassion does it, it's revolving around a church that believes and preaches the gospel and so that these kids, it's for eternity and, and, and they have an opportunity to respond and, and their children and their family to see church has grown and established. I mean, why, why not be part of that sort of a thing that supports and builds people not just here for this earth? It's just not about clean drinking water and, 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 and food to eat. It's about the gospel. And whatever, I encourage you in your giving when you give to different causes. As believers in Christ, let's, let, let's try to infuse it, give it to places where, where we know the gospel is going to also be presented as part of it. That's where Samaritan's Purse, a wonderful aid agency, they come in and, and they provide relief effort and work, but they supply chaplains and, and, and spiritual leadership where the gospel ends up getting proclaimed. And, and so I would encourage you, choose that over other relief agencies. Make sure that they're about promoting Jesus and the gospel because it's about eternity. It's not just about making people's lives better here on earth. That is important, but Ultimately, we want to see their lives invested and changed for the future in eternity in heaven. And so listen to Paul's instructions in, in, in the word of God in, in 1 Timothy 6. Instructions that he gives to the rich. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides with everything for us to enjoy. They are to do good and be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. See, lasting treasure and rich rewards means that we must examine our heart. But second of all, lasting treasure, rich rewards also means we have to examine our eyes. Look at in verse 22 and 23. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And here the question is, what is our focus? What are our eyes focusing on? My wife, Charlotte, she has a cousin who is considerably older than her. She's 67 years old, and she is mentally handicapped. Her name is Barbara. Barbara has been a figurehead, a big part of our family uh, functions uh, ever since I married into it. Got to see the love that this family has for Barbara. And uh, Barbara has very limited speech. 
but she's always been a big part of the family, and, and, and so she, she's very easily able to understand basic questions and different things, but her speech is, is a little more difficult to understand oftentimes. She now lives in a care home in Saskatoon in one part of the care home, and her mother, who is nearing 90 years old, is in the other part of the care home, and so they're together in that way. But over the last few years, there's been a gradual change with Barbara, and she's become more and more withdrawn, much more quieter, unresponsive. She'll get, she, she's always very compliant to what she's told to do. She'll be in her wheelchair through the day, but just kind of sits there in a cold stare and just kind of just, just sitting there. Just the days go by and the days are long. One of the doctors who visited a few months ago realized uh, that maybe there was something going on with Barbara with her eyes. And it turns out after an eye test that they saw that she was basically legally blind. She was blinded in one eye because of a cataract that had her, her, her completely blind. And the other one was in the high 90 percentage as far as blindness. And so they ended up performing the cataract surgery. They put her under and, and did both of them at the same time. And they have a new woman. She laughs, she giggles, she follows the conversation, she sees what's going on, she, she's interested in what's TV, she, in TV, in the eating room, she's able to kind of just engage at a different level. When people come into the room, she's able to identify them. Why? Because the cloudiness is gone and she's able to see. And what Jesus is talking about here in these verses is about having unclouded vision. But when we aren't focusing on Jesus and when we're focusing on the other things of this world, the materialistic passions and pleasures and, and, and the things that, that take us away from the treasures and the richness of Christ in our lives, it clouds our vision. Jesus is saying that our eye is the lamp to the body and that if and when we see Jesus for who he really is, then we have the fullness of light. After all, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he goes on to say, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so if we're looking at Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will have his light in our life. But if we're looking at other things and other things have taken our treasure, our time, our, our, our thinking, our, our passions, our dreaming, everything is all about these things. It clouds our vision and we have, un, we have clouded vision and aren't able to see. So when we live the lives of Jesus they're focusing on with him at the center. We have clarity, we have health, we have vitality. But when we're looking at the wrong things, there's darkness and emptying and decay eventually. Perhaps you're here today and, and if you were to be totally honest and, and maybe you've been at this point or maybe you're even there today and you would say, you know what? Just inside I'm empty. Inside I'm dead. Spiritually, I just kind of go through the motions. I'm just kind of going through, you know, you know I go to church, I'm, I'm serving, I give, I do all these different things, and yet it's just empty inside. Could it very well be, and, and, and God's word would, would, would propose here that perhaps our eyes are clouded because Jesus isn't our treasure. You see, we want Jesus as a consultant, but we don't want him as king. We want to look at him when we need him, but not keep our eyes fixed upon him. We'll take his word under advisement, but we'll go with what my gut says or what others tell or what society says. You see, we get clouded vision and this can happen slowly, just like cataracts over a period of time. Listen to what John Piper said. He said, if it is not Christ, you will be filled with darkness. No matter how bright it seems for a season, 
Candles seem bright until the sun comes out and then they are useless and need to be put away. Christ is the glory we were made to see. His light alone will fill us and give the light of life and meaning to every part of our lives. And when that happens, we ourselves will shine and give off the rays of Christ. May I remind you of some people in the Bible? Could we learn from their example or do we have to go out and think we can try to prove them wrong or be another statistic just like some here in the Bible? These are people whose vision became clouded, who had a heart and a passion for God, but their their eyes became clouded and it led to darkness. Think of Achan in, in, in Joshua chapter 7. Instead of inheriting the promised land together with his family because of his love of money, because he saw a beautiful garment and some coins and he stole them and he stashed them under his tent, he died along with the members of his family. Solomon amassed all the wealth and all the riches and, and yet declared vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they kept some of the money from, from the proceeds of, of a sale and, and, and yet promised it to the Lord and made it sound like they gave all the money and so they broke this promise and, and they lied about it and God struck them dead. Judas, for a pittance, few pieces of silver, he ended up betraying the Son of God and hung himself in a tree. Or Demas started out as a faithful servant in ministry, but it says in 2 Timothy, Timothy 4 that he loved this world too much. Oh, that our gaze, that our focus, that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus. And thirdly, lasting and rich treasure. Lasting treasure and rich reward requires the examination of my hands. So we examine our heart, we examine our eyes, but then we also examine our hands. Jesus said in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And so the question is, who am I serving? Who am I serving with my hands when I toil, when I work? Is it all about me or is it a way that I can honor and bless and worship and give back to Jesus and to be grateful and thankful for that all that he has done? We cannot serve two masters. He says it's impossible. You see, the word money here is the word mammon, which isn't just about dollars and credit cards. It's about treasures and material wealth. It can be about investments and, 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 and whatever it is that, that grips our heart in that way. And Jesus, he, he makes it so clear. There's no room for doubt here. He says you cannot serve both. It's got to be one or the other. Either you're worshiping Jesus or you're worshiping self. You can't be somewhere in the middle. Either we are working for Jesus and for all the things that are eternal or we're working for the things that won't last. Maybe ask ourselves a question and this is maybe a very tell, telling question that we can ask ourselves. What occupies our thoughts when we have nothing else to do? When we're drifting off to sleep, what are we dreaming about? What are we thinking about? What occupies our daydreams? Is it our investments, our position, our personal goals, our dreams? Or do we take time to think about the riches of Christ that we see in the Word of God? Instead of studying analytics when it comes to our business, are we studying the Word of God when it says about a godly character? About where real treasure lie in the wisdom of God? Why get trained up 
only in the area of the treasure or in the wisdom of man. And man has a lot of good wisdom and, and, and young people go to school and university and get extra studies and education and throughout the life we, we learn that and, and that's important. And, but what about learning the rich truths of the word of God? So vital, so important, not just for young people, but for, for all of us. Our time that we spend studying our accounts or studying for all of these different things that in the end, the exams, yes, I'm not saying don't study for your tests or the exams, students, but, but also we need to be studying and, and preparing ourselves for the greatest examination that will take place before the King of Kings at the judgment seat of Christ. We have to think in those terms for eternity. Or how do we look at others? How do we measure others when we meet them, when we talk with them? Do we look at their position? Do we look at their clothes? Do we look at their body? Do we look at their look, their ability? And think, okay, could this person be a means to my end? Is that how we view people? Or do we view them as souls that are loved by God, built for eternity, and that we ought to love them and love them into eternity? Or if they're already believers in Christ, that we would love them and encourage and strengthen and Care for one another. What I treasure reveals a lot about my heart. God desires our heart. He desires our heart. Who are we serving? We can't serve two masters. And the question is, what voice are we going to listen to? What voice will we listen to and obey? Jesus came. Why do we obey him? Why do we want to follow him? Maybe you're here today and you haven't given your life to Christ. You're not a believer in Christ. And you're like, this is just weird. This is just corny. Why would, why would you guys do this? It's because we've come to understand that we have all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And it's because we understand that, that God is so holy and that we are sinful and because of that, we have a separation and, and we're going to have this angst within us, this emptiness, this void in our souls that cannot be filled by anything of this world. And it's because we understand that Jesus came to this world to die on the cross for our sins, to take the punishment we so deserve, the wrath of God that we deserve was poured out on him. And so now when we receive what Christ has done and ask him to come into our life and we say, I want to live for you, I want to treasure you. I don't want to treasure the things of the world. I don't want to treasure myself. I want to treasure you, Jesus. And when we do that, his power comes in through the power of his Holy Spirit and he fills us and he remakes us and he cleanses us and he forgives us and the guilt and the shame, gone. And we are now his children, not just here on this earth, but for eternity. It's a big deal. This is what he's done for us. And when we understand his grace and his mercy, we want to obey him and we want to follow him and here he's warning you can't serve two masters the other one will enslave you following jesus will set you free to be a believer in christ to be a christian is someone who sees jesus in this way following him is better it's not going to be easy it's not going to be easy even jesus said anyone who would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow carrying a cross not going to be easy not going to be easy. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses it for my sake will find it. He goes on to say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. I'm going to close with this quote from an old pastor. G. Campbell Morgan, he said this. You are to remember 
with the passion burning within you that you are not the child of today. You are not of the earth. You are more than dust. You are the child of tomorrow. You are of the eternities. You are of the offspring of deity. The measurements of your life cannot be circumscribed by the point where blue skies kisses green earth. All the fact of your life cannot be encompassed in the one small sphere upon which you live. You belong to the infinite. If you make your fortune on earth, poor, sorry, silly soul, you have made a fortune and stored it in a place where you cannot hold it. Make your fortune, but store it where it will greet you in the dawning of the new morning. And God, I pray that these kingdom realities would embrace and encompass our, our mind and our thinking here today. That we would get our eyes back on you. We would repent of those areas where our vision has become clouded. Maybe the cataract surgery has to go hard and it needs to go deep because our vision is all over the wrong things. And would we pursue your riches this week? Getting to know the deep riches of the goodness of our great God to know that there will be rewards waiting for us, whether that be people. And in and, 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 and your word, there, there's ambiguity and we don't fully understand it, but we know that you're going to reward your children and it's going to be awesome when we get to heaven. And would we use what you have placed in our hands today, not waiting, not waiting till we're at a better place, not at a, a, a better place in, in our lives. Oh, would we make our lives about living and serving you today and giving to you whatever that would look like, however your spirit leads us in that. God, would you reveal to each one of us our true heart? Reveal to us where changes are needed and where they're necessary. Would we turn from pride and thinking that we're self-made people and to realize that without you, we are dust. We are nothing. And would you build us and would you make us into the people that would serve you, honor you, not just with our lips, but with our lives. I pray this over each person here today. I pray this over our church. I pray this over the church of Jesus Christ in Canada and around this world. Oh God, would we be about you first and foremost, getting our eyes fixed on you, getting, your, getting our eyes focused in the word and gaining wisdom and insight and direction and help then through your spirit working in and through us, we pray.